An increasing number of partial payments are now standard features of modern critical illness products, but Pruprotect's serious illness cover has always paid out different percentages for different levels of severity. Now, some say this approach is too complicated and difficult for customers to understand, whilst others insist that this is the way that critical illness cover should be done. My guest today talks about how partial payments and serious illness cover developed and how it compares to traditional critical illness cover. Here are his suggestions about how to overcome the perception that it's too complicated and the business opportunities it represents. I'd then be interested in your thoughts on the subject. Please do leave your comments on the podcast website. That's all right here on episode 12 of the Marketing Protection and Finance podcast. Hi, it's Roger Edwards here and welcome to the Empath Podcast. This is the podcast for providers and advisors looking to share business ideas and inspiration in the world of protection and finance. You can find the notes that go with the show at rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash empath. In the meantime, let's get on with the show and prepare to be inspired. So let's get started. I'm delighted to introduce my guest today, and he is Phil Jeans. Phil is Head of Account Development and PR at Prue Protect, and is the public face of that company, famous in the UK for its serious illness plan and vitality. A type of critical illness product that pays out partial sums depending upon the severity of the illness. Before that, Phil was Head of New Business at Direct Life and Pensions. In his spare time, Phil is a keen footballer and is youth chairman of AFC Porchester. So, Phil, welcome to the Empath Podcast. Thank you, Roger. How are you today? Very well, thanks. Now, before we get started and talk about our main topic for today, let's find out a little bit more about you, Phil. Tell everybody a little bit about your background so that we can get to know you and to find out what makes you tick. Um, Well, I've been in financial services straight out of school, really, and and like most people, fell into it because it was what happened to be available uh, local to me. So uh, in my case, Abbey National, as they then were, had just opened a great big mortgage centre up the road and they had an open day where they were recruiting staff. So me and my mates went along to that and I got a job in the admin department. Uh, I was a grade B member of staff. And there was no grade A, so I started at the bottom of, of, of Abbey National. So you were a B-list celebrity right from the start? Right from word go, yeah. And uh, and in Abbey National, you work backwards, so I ended up as grade E. <laughs> <laughs> the only way is down. Exactly. Um, from there, I, I went into, you know, uh, as a mortgage advisor and an IFA for a number of years until really the, the, the first big move I made into the protection market was, was with uh, direct life and pensions, or better known as life quote, I suppose. Okay, so let's move on to today's main discussion. Discussion. This is where on the Empath podcast we talk about a business model or a new product launch, a new marketing campaign or simply a hot news story. And I'm really interested in talking to Phil today about Pruprotect's serious illness plan and, of course, their vitality product as well. And I think the reason that I want to get into this is that, as you know, I used to be managing director and marketing director of Bright Grey within the Royal London Group. And for probably 20 odd years, I spent most of my time having to 
compete against companies like Protect. And since I left Royal London, it's been like a complete revelation. You go from that defensive feel to being completely open to ideas and concepts. So when I was a Royal London person, my immediate reaction when anybody like Protect or Aviva or LV equals launched a new product was, oh my God, how can we fight against this? The initial reaction wasn't, oh, that's actually a pretty good idea. Oh, I like that advert. Oh, that's really good for consumers. My initial reaction was, how can we almost rebut this entry to the market? And I'll have to admit that when the serious illness plan came to market, the initial reaction was, how can we fight against this? Because it's a threat to our critical illness product. So, Phil, take us back to the very beginning as to how the serious illness product came to the UK. It was obviously a transplant from uh, South Africa, wasn't it? Discovery Life, I think. Take us back to the beginning. How did serious illness come to the UK? Well, you're right, Roger. Um, Fight the Prue part of our name. Actually, the the major shareholder in the company is Discovery Life uh, over in South Africa. So so they actually own 75% of Prue Protect and Prudential, the other 25. And Discovery in South Africa are dominant in the life market, which is actually not dissimilar in its makeup to to the UK market. But they've got something like a 40% market share. So so they are absolutely dominant uh, out there. And and they've had the severity-based illness plan for for a number of years. Uh, And in expanding that company, we're looking to go into other territories around the world. The UK market, as I say, is not dissimilar in its makeup, so it seemed a natural fit and, and the joint venture, therefore, with Prudential culminated in Protect launching to market in 2007. And the idea really was to shake up the critical illness market in the way that they had done in South Africa. A- anyone that knows their critical illness history will know that critical illness cover, or dread disease cover as it was, is a South African invention in, its, in, in the first place. So this is really a sort of a natural evolution of the product uh, coming, coming across from its homeland again, I suppose. Yeah, it was... Uh... Uh, Marius and Christian Barnard um, that originally pioneered the idea of critical illness cover probably back in the early 80s I think. I think you're right and, and actually we, we had a, a great quote in some of our original marketing material from one of the Barnard brothers saying that if he, if he had his time again he would design the product to pay out based on severity rather than based on the definition of an illness. So that, that was a great quote that got us off the ground in 2007-2008. Yeah so, so just really to be clear what we're actually looking at with the Protect Serious Illness Plan is unlike the mainstream critical illness plan, which tends to generally pay out 100% of the sum assured if you pass a certain definition, with the caveat that some critical illness plans now do have the odd partial payment for some less serious conditions. But the serious illness plan really takes that to quite a wide extreme. So for every single condition that you can potentially get, the serious illness plan will pay out, is it between 5 and 100% of the sum assured, depending uh, upon the yeah. severity? So we cover 166 conditions which is sort of a meaningless number. But um, yeah, the, the key point is that for any of these serious illnesses, cancer, heart attack being obviously the most obvious ones, we pay out anywhere from 5% to 100% of the sum assured uh, based on how far progressed and how serious that illness has become. So the big differences between serious illness cover and critical illness cover in its traditional form is that it's all or something rather than all or nothing. And really just allows us to have a broader scope of cover and pay out earlier for, for lots and lots of definitions. We always say that critical illness is a severity-based contract as well. It's just that you have to get further down that that severity before it makes a payment. And and the other interesting point you made there, Roger, was quite rightly that we have to caveat critical illness descriptions now by saying that most, in fact, all of the major providers now include an element of partial payments within their contract. So it'll still be an all or nothing plan in terms of your cancer has to be progressed to a certain level before we'll pay. Your heart attack has to be of a certain severity before we'll pay. But for this set number of definitions, we'll also pay 20, 25 percent of the sum assured. And the interesting point around that, I suppose, in terms of giving us satisfaction, 
satisfaction that we're on, along the right lines with, with our contract is that none of those partial payments existed before Preprotect launched to the market in 2007. So it is a reaction from other providers, as far as we're concerned, to sort of keep pace with some of the innovation that we've brought into the market. Yeah, look, looking back to the South African roots, I've always thought that the natural progression of the critical illness market had to be to partials because I suppose when critical illness was invented in, in 1986, the reality was that even with cancer, the detection of the cancer wasn't as uh, scientifically proven as it is today. So you might actually be in quite a serious shape before the cancer was actually diagnosed. Yeah. And therefore, the definition that was originally uh, drafted from the original critical illness plans was highly appropriate. But of course, 20, nearly 30 years on now, we're at the stage where you, you can diagnose cancer at the microbiological level. You know, one or two malignant cells is cancer. And therefore, it seems much more appropriate to have a product that does pay out a partial payment for the levels of severity. What I think is interesting about the approach that you've taken with the serious illness plan is you've done something which I think is very rare in the financial services industry, is you've actually leapt to the ultimate destination of the idea as opposed to getting there in incremental stages. Most product providers tend to just say, what do we need to change, very small change to the product to outdo our competitors. So we might have 20 illnesses, so we're going to add on another two. So we've got 22, the competition's got 20, we're better. And you can usually plot where this is going, but it's going to take 10, 15 years for people to get there. What Pru Protect did is you almost said, right, this is the end game, we're just going to go straight there which is what you've done. And everybody else is still playing that evolutionary step-by-step, almost, would you say, catch-up? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I tend to sort of describe them off the record as, as kind of me-too products. So when, when someone makes a change, you know, everyone else looks at it and says, is that worth doing? Is it going to, you know, is it going to get them a good bit of PR? Okay, me too. And, and we've kind of, as you quite rightly say, we've skipped past that and gone straight to, okay, well, what's going to make us, in, in, you know, in our minds, the best of breed in the market and gone straight to it. And, and the point you made about um, medical advancements is the key one. This isn't a case of launching a product that's different for the sake of being different and just to, you know, unsettle the market. The point is that medical definitions have moved forward, diagnosis has moved forward, and treatment of things like cancer has progressed incredibly quickly. I mean, the latest stats I saw in um, in the press last week from cancer research were that something like 50% of people diagnosed with cancer now will live for another 10 years minimum. And, and that's a huge improvement on where it was even 10, 20 years ago. So people are getting diagnosed more quickly and they're living with diseases, which means they're going to have recurrences, they're going to have different diseases, multiple, you know, multiple diagnoses. So a product that actually can pay out quickly and then doesn't just cease and and make the person uninsurable, you know, is clearly where the market needs to be, in our opinion. I suppose the downside of something that has, as you've said, 160 conditions, although, as you also said, let's not get hung upon numbers, (laughs) it does add a little bit of complexity to the product. Yeah. So you could argue that it's more complex than the traditional one payout version of critical illness. And I suppose, is that the main challenge that you faced getting this initiative off the ground, overcoming that complexity yeah. argument? I think going back to the early, and I know we're still sort of in the early days in the grand scheme of things, but going back to the very early days, 2008, 2009, where we're trying to persuade intermediaries that this is a, a product that's worth talking to customers about, there, there were probably two 
major hurdles that people would put in our way on a regular basis. So the first one would be the one that you've just described, which is, crikey, it sounds a bit complicated. And and of course, if you get into the granular detail of these things, it is just like anything else. Uh, if you if you go and buy a new car and, and the salesman starts explaining to you how internal combustion works, it's probably going to get very complicated very, very quickly for the vast majority of us. The key point is he doesn't really need to get into that granular level of detail. He needs to explain the basic concept of how the vehicle operates and he needs to reassure you that it's going to do what it needs to do when you need it to do it. So when you step on that brake pedal, you don't really need to worry about the mechanics of how that brake pedal is operating, the, the you know the mechanism that slows down the vehicle. You just need to have confidence it's going to stop you. And so that's really the, the you know a lot of the discussions we've been having with intermediaries over the years is about it's fantastic that you need to understand the detail, but in terms of talking to a customer about it, you know, do you go into that level of detail when you're discussing critical illness cover? Probably not. You talk about the broad concept. This is what it's designed to do. This is an example of how it might work. And if you treat serious illness cover in the same way, the surprising thing to a number of people is customers get it instantly. And when you think about it, the reason they get it instantly is it works the same as every other critical, uh, every other insurance policy that they've got. So car insurance, home insurance, you get a, a minor ding in your car, you get a small payout to, to compensate. The whole thing's written off or stolen, you get the whole lot. Uh, if you spill red wine over your white carpet, you don't expect the insurance company to rebuild your house. You expect them to compensate you for the damage that's been done. And serious illness cover is exactly the same concept. So once you get over that hurdle in your mind of this is different, you'll find that customers think it's exactly the same as everything else. Absolutely. And, and the only real difference between the red wine example is that you're talking about medical concepts. And sometimes medical concepts can be difficult to Absolutely. read, let alone explain. Yeah, I think I think you're right. So we wouldn't, you know, we wouldn't um, downplay the fact that advisors have got a lot to get their heads around. Uh, and clearly we want to help with that. Um, but in terms of explaining the concept, um, the average customer doesn't doesn't want or need to go into that level of granular detail about things. If you've got a customer that does, fantastic. You know, we've got tons of literature that can help you do it in the same way that any of our competitors do. I haven't thought, Phil, about the the argument about comparing it to car insurance and house insurance and the, and the various different claims that you could make on a house insurance policy. I really like that analogy. I wish I'd thought about that many years ago. Actually, yeah. um, the other thing that works really well is asking people to think about it the opposite way round. So, if the market had always been serious illness severity based, and you came in with a product and said, "Hey, I'm just launching this company called Bright Grey. Now, we're going to pay out for cancer the same as your, your serious illness contract does." But we're only going to pay out at the point where it gets quite serious. But at that point, we're guaranteed to pay the whole amount. It sort of sounds daft. And I wish I'd thought of that years ago, because that only got explained to me about 18 months ago, by which point I'd won the argument with most of the people I was <laughs> I thought, that's brilliant. And, if, and, and the same in car, in car insurance is even more stark. If you came into the market now and said, Roger, I'm going to sell you a car insurance policy, but it won't pay out for any minor damage you do. It'll only pay out if the car's written off completely. Of it's course, not... It just sounds daft, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. But one of the things that we do face within the protection market in general, not just the critical illness market, is it is still relatively flat. And I think that we are at a turning point now. There are so many great initiatives that are um, taking place. One of the things I was talking to Peter Lebeau recently on the podcast was the Seven Families Initiative, and, and hopefully that's going to make income protection much more accessible to the UK public. But we still have lots of hurdles to get over. We have that issue that the public don't trust us to pay out claims, and I think we can all demonstrate statistically that we do pay out claims in the very high 90s but we're still faced with this flat market and with such a great range of products like the serious illness plan and the other 
critical illness plans that are out there. How do we move to get more people interested in what we do? What are Prue Protect doing to grow the market and to make consumers more aware of what we do and how positive what we do is? Uh, yeah, that's a really good point. So while we get quite excited about our sales figures and we've been in a slightly unusual position since we, since we launched of, of having year-on-year growth, which is very unusual in the protection market, if we're honest, we're probably still in that position where we're taking market share from our competitors rather than building new market share with with brand new customers and since the gender neutrality piece a couple of years ago that's really become quite stark that what a lot of companies called new business wasn't it was just this business that was on a bit of a merry-go-round and they were taking it from a competitor and then passing it back again when when rates changed in six months time so so we're not at all complacent despite the success we've had to date so in terms of what we're doing proactively about it the, the answer is quite a lot and i suppose where we're different again is that we tend to focus when we're talking to consumers about protection we tend not to focus on illness cover and the number of definitions and when we might pay out for something unpleasant we tend to to focus on the positives of what our product can offer in terms of the added benefits that are built into our product. So what I'm talking about there is our health and wellness um, program called Vitality. So we're, we're plowing a, a large investment into, into advertising direct to consumers, and that's taken a number of forms. So you'll have seen it in the, in the press. So we're in lots of national newspapers and lots of local papers and a huge amount of online advertising. So you'll see our, our adverts popping up in the trade media and, and, and elsewhere. And, and what that advertising talks about is very much um, the, the ethos of living a healthier lifestyle and getting rewarded for doing so. So you'll see one of our ambassadors, Jess, Jessica Ennis-Hill, who uh, is the sort of the face of that part of the company, talking about does your insurer give you cash back? Because mine does. Does your insurer give you half price gym membership? Because mine does. Does your insurer give you free cinema tickets? Because mine does. And those are the sorts of messages that we're using to try and generate interest in, in, in the sector as well as in our own product, rather than saying, did you know one in three people get cancer? Which I think is, as I was going to say, improved, <laughs> which I think is, is worse than to one in two people, if, depending on how you measure it. Uh, did you know you could get a heart attack? Did you know being overweight is bad? Did you know that smoking is bad for you? All these kind of negative messages, as, as true as they are, and as important as they are for customers to understand, I don't think generate sales. I think they're a bit of a turn off to people. I think they always have been, haven't they? Those negative statistics, mm. whilst they, you know, think, oh, we're going to scare people into uh, into buying one of these things. I've never really subscribed to the idea that it actually triggers people to to actively put in an uh, application form. No. What I do like, though, and again, one of the advantages of the serious illness plan is proportionately you must have a lot more smaller claims because of the of the structure of the policy. And and again, one of the things that I think the industry should be doing more is telling the stories of the people that claim so it could be you know somebody's just got five percent of the sum assured that could be I would say £5,000 for having a, a very small skin cancer re- removed from their face or something like that. Now, you may think, well, OK, what's £5,000 for just having something fairly cosmetic? But that person could have had to have taken a couple of weeks off work, could have had to have cancelled some speaking engagements or whatever it was in order to have that operation and, and to recover from it. And in the scheme of things, it's not as serious as, as breast cancer or something like that, but there was a disruption. So the £5,000 or whatever it is seems like like adequate compensation for that experience and it's those stories whether it's five thousand pounds and five percent or a hundred percent for a serious cancer or a serious heart attack that we need to get out there more into the media into the public eye so that people are hearing these positive stories more than they're hearing the negative stories which unfortunately keep coming up about the fact that we don't pay claims which we know isn't really that true anymore 
No, absolutely, and and, it, and it's a big focus for us. Um, in, in fact, I had a meeting just yesterday uh, on on the very topic. So um, we're still in in insurance terms in our infancy, but we are now at a position where we're getting a regular flow of claims through, as you would imagine. And as you quite rightly say, it's for a broad spectrum of illnesses and a broad um, spectrum of severities from, yeah, as you say, fairly minor in the grand scheme of things, uh, conditions through to, you know, uh, really unfortunately life changing ones. And, and a big part of our focus is to make sure that each of those claims not only is handled, uh, you know, as expertly as possible for the customer, because that's why they've taken the policy, but also that actually we're analysing it internally to say, right, can we get a, a story out to the wider world about this? So it's uh, something you'll, you'll see coming out of Pre-Protect over the next few years on an extremely regular basis, because we're, I, I totally agree with you. We, we recognise that that's the way, in conjunction with some, lots of positive messaging about what else the insurance policy can do for you, that's what will change public perception. If there was one big idea that you'd like those people listening to the Empath podcast today to take away from the experience that you've had with the Serious Illness Plan and how you've marketed it and how you've generated PR, what would that message be? The message would be, I mean, I, I suppose it's mainly directed at, at intermediaries because that's where I've spent my whole career and that's still the absolute major focus of Pre-Protect in terms of generating new business. And it would be not to assume that customers are going to have the same hang-ups that you do, not just about our product, but about any new product or any new initiative that comes to market. And the, the real turning point uh, in terms of that mindset for me was when we did a product launch about 18 months ago, and I was involved in the, in the blind consumer tests. So we had an independent firm that, that arranged for people to come in off the street. They didn't know who we were or really what we were going to be talking about. And we spoke to them about a couple of our products without any branding, without them knowing who we were, uh, or what the end game was, and, and we explained our product alongside a traditional competitor product. And we were at pains to almost make our product, you know, put, paint it in its most negative light possible. These are the flaws of it. These are the downsides with it. These are the things that, you know, some people say they don't like. And when we positioned it like that, customers, on the whole, preferred what we were describing. And I just think that actually sometimes in our own minds we think, oh, people won't like that because it's different, because it's strange. And we forget that the vast majority of people have no perception of what normal is like in, no. a, in a critical illness product or any type of insurance product because they only touch it once or twice in their lives. So they don't have the hang-ups that we have about, ah, but it might not pay 100% in this condition. Oh, no, the, you know, the premium might change over time based on – they don't have those hang-ups. So the message, I suppose, would be just to take a bit of a leap of faith with, with anything new, not just our products, uh, and position it to the customer. Let them tell you uh, whether they've got concerns about it or whether they like the sound of it. I think that is really good advice, and I absolutely agree with you, Phil, on that. So many of us focus so much on the technicalities of what we do. And let's face it, when we're dealing with these products day in, day out, we're talking to advisors about it, we're talking to the press about it, we become immersed in the detail of what we're talking about. And you're absolutely right. Most consumers have no concept of the detail. Yeah. And I think we, we probably become overly obsessed with the detail and in doing so we probably do alienate some of our customers it even comes down to just the the price of basic term assurance you know we all fight tooth and nail to keep our rates as cheap as possible because we think that people are obsessed with the cheapest price but you get a couple of people in a room and ask them to tell you how much term assurance is you'll get 10 different answers from def 10 different people because nobody has an anchor point actually in their mind absolutely they don't have a preconception in the way that we obviously do 
No. The, the funniest one uh, for me, again, where I, where I really had to sort of take off my industry hat and, and think about it as a customer, was our, our latest product that we launched uh, towards the back end of 2013 was our Optimizer product. And, and this is a product that very much links protection with health and wellness and a healthy lifestyle. So the way that it works is we give a cheaper premium up front to the customer, discounted by around about 20% of the initial premium. In return, they have to engage with Vitality. And by that, I mean, perhaps they have to carry a pedometer, which counts their steps. So they can show they've been active. Perhaps they go to the gym to show that they're, you know, try, trying to exercise. Basic steps like that. If they engage, they move up our vitality statuses from bronze to silver, gold and ultimately platinum. And, and that determines what happens to their premium going forwards. So if they took the policy with a discount up front, and they did nothing at all with Vitality. They forgot about it and put it in the bottom drawer like a lot of us do. They'd stay at bronze. And what would happen to their premium is it would rise. But it would only rise by 2% every year. Having said that, if they went up the Vitality statuses through silver, gold and platinum, the increase either halves if they get to silver, so it only goes up by 1%. If they get to gold, it doesn't rise at all. So they get that initial premium and lock it in. And if they get to platinum, not only do they get the initial discount, but the premium drops by 1% every year thereafter. Now, when the product was explained to me by our uh, products and actuarial team, I said, look, it sounds absolutely great. And for a certain type of person, it's going to be brilliant. But for a lot of people, they really like that satisfaction of knowing they've got a premium that's £30 a month, £40 a month, whatever it might be, and it will never change. But when we did this blind customer testing, exactly as you say, Roger, the opposite occurred. Customers assume that everything goes up every single year. They forget that it's a guaranteed premium and it's guaranteed never to change. And if you ask them, how much did your life insurance go up by every year? It was anything from kind of 5% to 10% every year is the assumption they make of what's going to happen. So when you talk about a product that gives an upfront discount and then only rises by 2% every year, the vast majority of the general public we spoke to said, wow, that sounds fantastic. What a brilliant deal. And, and so it's transpired when we launched it to market that now over 30% of our products are, are sold on the optimizer basis, on that exact basis. So it's one of those things where, again, take away your hang-ups, take away your preconceptions of what the public think and what they want, position the product to them as an option, and you'll be amazed at the number of people who say, I like the sound of that one. What you said there, Phil, is absolutely key to me, to the future of success in this industry. It's forgetting our hang-ups. It's forgetting the detail. It's forgetting immersing ourselves in the complexities. And it's getting out there and finding out what customers really think. Your eyes will be opened when you, when you hear what customers truly think about what we do and it gives us so many great ideas as to how we can take things forward and and that customer focus is of great interest to me for the Empath podcast I always like to talk about customer focus and just talking a little bit more about vitality again those ideas that people can get cinema vouchers people can get discounts on gym memberships what's the feedback been like to that Phil? Absolutely fantastic I mean it's really again in the early years the, the, you know, the, the barrier that's put in our way by a lot of people was it's a gimmick. When you're talking to someone about cancer, it's an, it's not a natural segue to then talk about uh, discounted holidays or, or free tickets to Legoland or whatever it might be. And of course, when you position it like that, it does sound ridiculous. But actually, when you look at the, the general concept, which is you're selling a, a product that's going to pay out when someone's unwell, a huge number of the illnesses that we pay out on and critical illness pays out on are lifestyle based. So you can mitigate the chances of getting certain cancers, certain heart attacks, certain strokes by changing your lifestyle. The obvious ones, you know, not smoking, not drinking as much, having a healthier diet, uh, taking regular exercise. So everyone knows this stuff. It's not new information. You're not going to stagger any customer by saying that, you know, leading a healthy lifestyle can mitigate your chances of getting a nasty disease. But no one until now had made that link in the product. So actually saying to a customer, well, look, if you do those good things and, and you can demonstrate to us that you're leading a healthier lifestyle, why, why would we not give you something back? Because actually you're helping 
helping us manage our book. We're going to pay fewer claims. We're going to you know, ha- have a healthier customer book. So it's a two-way street. So the, the obvious one and the, and the sort of the headline that we launched with, I guess, and, and still one of our most popular benefits was half-price gym membership. So if you take out the product, it's got vitality in it. You're, you can get membership of, of Virgin Gyms for 50% less than you would do otherwise. Great incentive to go in there and, and do a bit of exercise a few times a week. Good for us because you're going to be healthier and, and therefore less likely to make a claim. So it's this mutually beneficial kind of customer centric view that we've got of the world that says uh, this isn't just a policy that you buy because you have to. And your mum said you should. And then you put in a, in a dusty old drawer and forget about it. It's a product that you buy because you need it. You hope you never need to make a claim on it. But actually, every day you can get something back. Absolutely. And as a fitness instructor in my spare time, yes, I can I know, yeah. absolutely associate myself with this. Although, of course, most fitness instructors are probably very unhealthy in real life. <laughs> but never mind. That's a, that's a really good point, Roger, is that in, incorrectly, sometimes when, when we speak to people about our product, they say, oh, I absolutely love it. I love Vitality. And when I speak to a customer that's a real health freak, I always talk to them about your product you think well that's great because those sorts of people it is going to be right up their street of course and if you're already a member of a virgin gym then having the membership at half price is a bit of a no-brainer but actually it, it suits absolutely everybody i've never been a member of the gym in my life i probably never will be but i still try and live an active lifestyle so the football is obviously the key one and the great thing about being a very poor footballer is you spend a lot more time running after the ball. So in terms of health, <laughs> it's much better. But so for me, the one that works is the pedometer. So I've got a fit bug. It counts the number of steps I take. So whether that's, you know, walking the dog, football training, whatever it might be, you know, lots of people just enjoy getting out in the countryside and having a stroll. All of that is part of living a healthy lifestyle and, and we reward people for it. So we're not just talking about people that are training for a triathlon next month. We're talking about absolutely anybody at whatever stage in their life they are at, Whatever stage of fitness they are at, most people want to improve their health and, and giving them a mechanism to do that and rewards for doing so makes sense. What's worked not so well for you on the uh, serious illness and vitality side? Is there anything that you've had to do that's made you modify your approach as a result of feedback? Yeah, definitely. I think that the biggest one, and we touched on it earlier, is that the product offering is so broad. We've got so many variants of the product and, and there's so much in vitality in terms of the number of partners there are, the number of discounts you can get, the number of ways you get discounts. So I think the biggest learning curve that we've had over the last six or seven years has been in how we position that with with intermediaries first and foremost and customers thereafter. So actually, if you stand up in front of a room of people and you've got a 20 minute stage presentation, you can't have 75 different USPs to talk about. You need to select the one that's going to work for that room or maybe the two that's going to work for that room. So they go away in the old adage wanting more um, rather than going off thinking, Crikey, I sort of got some of that, but that sounds a lot. Uh, And I think in the early days, certainly when you come off the training course, in the same way that you've sort of done, Roger, since you left you know, your previous employment, you've had a proper look at the product. You get quite excited about it. You get quite inspired by it. And you want to go out and tell everyone everything you know. And that's, that's a mistake. <laughs> Just talking to you today, Phil, I've learned more about the serious illness plan than I've ever known in the past. And again, that's because I've come to it with a completely open mind now. I haven't had at the back of my mind that insistent little voice saying, how can you get at it? How can you nitpick at it? How can you come up with a rebuttal to this? How can you come up with a rebuttal to that? It's been really refreshing just to have the proper conversation about the benefits and how it works and, and of course, how it can help develop and grow the protection market. So just to finish, I always like to finish the Empath podcast with a little series of quick fire 
via business questions. Are you happy to stay on for a couple more minutes to do that, Phil? Absolutely fine. If there was one thing that you could change about the financial services industry, perhaps by waving that proverbial magic wand, what would it be? Uh, I think more investment in talking to customers w- would be the big thing. So we're, we're starting down that road. You know, we're, we're by no means complacent about it. Um, but things like the sponsorship of the football clubs that we've done, um, as a Man United fan, it's not a great time to be talking about football, but... <laughs> You know, the sponsorship we've done with Arsenal and Liverpool and Manchester City, um, which starts this season, is a huge step forward. And, and the, the number of people that are chatting to me about, oh, I saw your brand on TV last night. That's massive. And that's a fairly, I mean, it's not as if we've sponsored a stadium or sponsored the shirts or anything. So it's fairly small in terms of football sponsorship. It's huge for the protection industry. And if more people did that, I think the buzz that it would generate about the protection industry would be huge. What's the one business model, product or campaign that's caught your attention in the last year, even if it was from a competitor? Tell us what it was and what you liked about it. I think if we're looking in the protection market, then probably LV's calculator, I forget the name of it, but uh, advisors can go in and, and generate the probability of people contracting an illness. I mean, ha- having spent quite a long time talking to you about how scaring people doesn't make them buy, it's important to have a conversation with people about the likelihood of them needing these products, especially if they're not convinced that it's something for them. And that was a really neat little tool. Tell us about an app or a gadget that's made a huge difference to your life and or your business. Uh, in terms of making a difference to my life, I, I think, you know, you try and think outside of the outside of the norm. But the iPhone is a staggering piece of technology. It really is. You know, chatting to my kids about how just the basics of a mobile phone that when I was their age, if someone said they were meeting you somewhere, you went and waited there. And if they didn't turn up, that was that. And now my kids are just on the phone constantly, you know, changing their plans, moving arrangements around. The fact that it can now also run your business life, um, that you can engage on social media through it, that you can listen to podcasts, you can watch TV, you can do the whole lot through it. It's quite incredible. It is amazing, isn't it? I think I read somewhere that somebody said if you, you can hold an iPhone in your hand and in that small piece of technology, there is all the knowledge that has ever existed in the entire history of mankind. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we still pub- use it for looking at cute cats on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> well, it has ruined pub conversations. I think you used to spend hours arguing about, you know, who was the star of X film, you know, and, and the more pints you had, you know, the more your argument progressed. Whereas now when you disagree with someone, you just you Google it immediately and there's the answer. So it's a bit of a shame in that respect. Yeah, I think pub quizzes are a thing of the past as a result of the <laughs> iPhone. And finally, Phil, what's the best business book you've ever read? Tell us why you like it so much and what you took from it. Do you know what? I've never actually read that many business books i tend to think that when you're um i mean reading for me is about is, is about pleasure and i suppose the other great invention that took me a while to get my head around was the kindle and i've never gone back from that and the number of people that say to me oh i, I still love the look and feel of, a, of an actual book i sort of agree but the kindle is quite phenomenal that you can read it in you know in bright sunlight so when you're sat around the pool in france it works just as well as a as a normal book where, where an iPad definitely doesn't. So th- whenever I read a book, it's generally speaking, it, it's a novel. In terms of inspiration for business, I, I would look more at the people that I've worked with. So I, I think I probably learned more from people like Mike Ward when I when I originally started with Direct Life, people like um, Richard Verdin, he'll love me saying that, people like Andy Philo and, and Justin Toro got Pre-Protect and Deepak and, and competitors around the industry. So, you know, you're good self, Roger, and, and lots of other people around the industry. I think you learn more by sitting back and having an open mind listening to what those people are saying uh, than you do reading a book by someone obscure in America who, who, let's face it, just got lucky. 
And before we sign off, Phil, tell us how people can connect with you on Twitter, LinkedIn, Google+, and, of course, your website. I've got an unusual surname, so it's fairly easy to get hold of me. So so Jeans is spelled J-E-Y-N-E-S, um, which is why everyone pronounces it Jeans, but you did very well, Roger. Twitter's where I where I tend to be most prominent, so um, it's at Genius, so it's at J-E-Y-N-E-U-S. You see what I did there? And LinkedIn, it's very easy to find me, Phil Jeans. Thank you so much, Phil, to com- for coming on the Empath podcast today. It's been really interested to talk to you about the Serious Illness Plan and Vitality. Let me wish you every success in the future, and I hope to catch up with you again soon, probably at a protection event in London. Almost definitely, Roger. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Marketing Protection and Finance Podcast, also known as the Empath Podcast. Do please look at the show notes at rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash empath for links to the apps and books and topics we discussed. If you enjoyed the show, I'd be grateful if you would leave a review on iTunes. Simply visit rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash iTunes and leave a comment. If you are a provider, advisor or journalist and you have a product, campaign or business model that you want to talk about, do please get in touch. I'd be delighted to have you as a guest on the Empath Podcast. And before we go, just to remind you that nothing that my guests and I talked about on the show is intended to be financial advice of any kind. It's just our thoughts and opinions, okay? customer focus is what's really going to make us successful in the future and that sort of thinking that sort of way forward i think is going to be um, (laughs) yeah all right um (laughs) take it that's what i love about podcasting you can you can fuck up as much as you want then you just just edit it out i I mean a lot of the podcasts i listen to which i mean obviously aren't this type of one they're more comedy podcasts yeah they do it as live yes you get this and the fuck is probably the best part (laughs) absolutely (laughs)